Hey all, welcome back to the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. I'm Darren, and today we have a returning guest, Mr. Greg Mervich of Ballistic Barbecue YouTube channel. Greg was one of my first guests when I started the podcast, and I'm welcoming him back today to talk about a new book he's got. I'll be right back with Mr. Greg Mervich of Ballistic Barbecue. Smoking, grilling, getting hot and hotter, sous vide and chilling from fire and water. Welcome back to the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast, everybody. I want to welcome my guest today, Mr. Greg Mervich of the Ballistic Ballistic Barbecue YouTube well, channel. Yeah, I appreciate being uh, asked to talk on your podcast, Aaron. Well, you were one of my first guests that I had on my podcast, so I'm always glad to have you back. So let's talk about who you are and all that so the people that haven't listened before can figure out who you are. All right. Well, um, live in San Diego, California, and I grew up just uh, loving barbecue. I mean, it's always been my favorite type of food. I grew up watching my dad and my grandfather cook outdoors. And uh, anyway, about ten, well, about nine years ago, I guess now, I started a YouTube channel called Ballistic Barbecue. Actually, it was three years after I started it that I became uh, serious with the channel and uh, just sort of feeding my addiction and making YouTube videos became another addiction. Yeah, I can understand that. Uh, I've I've been cooking probably since my mid-teens. You know, started out watching my mom cook and all that. So uh, it uh, it's always been a passion of mine. And and barbecue in the last you know fifteen twenty years has kind of taken over. So uh, I can understand that. Let's talk about your YouTube channel again. Uh, Ballistic Barbecue is probably one of the first ones I I remember you know uh, watching when I started getting back into YouTube a while back. So um, how'd that start? How'd that, uh, how's it growing? Well, it started, it started, I was a consumer of videos, but back when I was watching, there really weren't a whole lot of, uh, dedicated channels to outdoor cooking. It was more or less, you know, guy would be working on his motorcycle in one video and then cooking a pork shoulder in the next video. Uh, the only really dedicated, um, channel back when I started was the barbecue pit boys. And uh, I just remember one day, uh, I, my sister, my brother-in-law were coming over for dinner. I was making, a, barbecuing a pork shoulder. And right before I started, you know, applying the rub and everything, trimming or anything, I, I handed a little piece of junk video camera to my wife. And I said, hey, videotape me. So, you know, no lighting, no audio or anything. She just stood there in the kitchen while I was applying the rub and everything. And... Anyway, we videotaped the entire process, um, and I, I honestly thought that would be it. I didn't have any plans on making another video. I, I didn't have, I mean, I didn't have the channel name Ballistic Barbecue or anything back then. And then all of a sudden, the comments started rolling in, the views, and then I started getting, you know, questions coming from people. Like, I remember one in particular was uh, from Japan, and I thought, wow, I mean, this is cool. I mean, it's unlike anything I've ever experienced in my life, you know, just the the interaction and everything. So I just continued making videos. And then again, about three years later that I, I actually started taking it a little bit more serious than I was back then. So I know you started out doing, you know, barbecue and, and but I've seen I've seen a lot of your videos where you've done some other stuff where you went and you uh, vis visited a butcher and. They showed you how to break down, you know, either a whole cow or a half a cow. I can't remember, what, but it was a big piece of meat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and you've done some other things um, like that. Uh, I've seen you actually go traveling. You were visiting, I guess, your sister up in Northern California, and you did some videos from, from her house and stuff. So how, how do you like that? How do you like, you know, traveling and, and doing stuff like that with, with the YouTube channel? It's, it's fun. I mean, it, the logistics are a little bit more difficult, you know, whenever you're uh, traveling and I'm a one man show in my, in my video production, I'm, I don't have anybody helping me. I uh, usually shoot in the middle of the week when everyone else is at work and um, you know, I do all my editing and everything myself. So the logistics are difficult when you're kind of taking it on the road, I guess. 
Um, but it is something I want to incorporate in more of my videos. And uh, actually, I have a going to be going up to L.A. here real soon with a few other. Actually, by the time I guess this podcast uh, airs, we'll, we'll already be up in L.A. And uh, probably going to try and incorporate some of the adventures, so to speak, in L.A. into into a video. Now, like when you um, hooked up with the guy at the butcher uh, butcher shop or whatever that was, I mean, how do they uh, feel about when you say, hey, I want to shoot this for a video? Are they open to it? Do they, you know, ask a bunch of questions? You know, because uh, I, I really have never done any of that with my YouTube channel, but I've always, you know, thought maybe I should start, you know, branching out and getting, visiting some places like that and doing, you know, incorporating more of that type of stuff into my uh, videos. Well, I, the, my strategy is always just, you know, to gain their trust. I, I want them to kind of know what they're getting themselves into if they do uh, agree to my coming over. So I'll, I'll shoot them an email, introduce myself, tell them exactly what my plans are. Then I'll also share a link to my channel so they see what I'm doing. And usually that alone works. You know, on, on some of my um, my burger copycat videos, if it's a burger restaurant that's not near where I live, I'll shoot them an email and let them know what my intentions are. And you'd be surprised how many phone calls I've had with either the executive chefs or the owners of the restaurants. I've had them actually sharing technique and recipes with me. So I think it's just building that trust and letting them know they're not going to get slammed in my video. I mean, I'm actually trying to promote what they're doing. And uh, that alone... Uh, I think is my biggest asset when it comes to reaching out to those people or companies. Yeah. I guess um, if they don't, if they think that you're there to help promote them or exactly, you know, not trash them or, or, you know, try to find the flaws, I guess yeah. they'd, be, they'd be more open to it because like, like you said, with the burger videos, you're actually there just to kind of replicate and show people how they can make those at home, which is, kind of promoting their product anyway, you know, so. Yeah, and, and I haven't had, uh, the experiences I've had with the exception of, of Umami Burger have been really, really positive. And, I, and, you know, I think when someone's very confident in the product they're putting out, they don't mind sharing, sharing some of the little kind of insider tips or secrets, you know. Right, yeah, I can get, I can get that. So, um I've seen you do some, you know, amazing burgers and how, how much time do you spend researching? Cause you do, you do burgers from like all over the country and all over the world, I think. Yeah. Um, now have you visited all these places or do a lot of them? You just try to find out how they do it and to make it on your own without ever tasting the original. Well, it really depends. I mean, if, if there's places that are within range of where I live or places I travel to, I'll put those on the back burner until I actually get um, to belly up to the bar, so to speak, and try try the burgers. And, and I try to get a, an angle where I can watch them preparing it and everything. Or I'll, I'll, I'll talk with the waiter, try to get a you know conversation going with the, whoever's cooking. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, I've done burgers from like as far away as Amsterdam and Turkey. Um, so I'm not going to be traveling into those places anytime soon. So I just try to, uh, dig in there and see what information I can find online, you know, videos, uh, vlogs, blogs. And like I said, if there are places within the United States, I'll call the restaurant and talk to the people. So I try to get as educated on the process and, and the ingredients and, their sources and everything as I can before I kind of delve into it. Because, you know, the easy thing, honestly, is just to uh, use the name of one of those restaurants in my title and just kind of come up with something on my own. But that's not what I would consider a copycat. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's one of the things I like about it is you're not putting your, your stamp on it. You're actually trying to get as close to the original as possible. And, and you, you know, pretty, you can tell that when you watch the video is that you, you say, you know, Hey, I've called them. I, you know, I've, I've, I've done this, I've done this kind of research on it. So you're just not like, well, I heard they put bacon and onions on it. So that's what I'm going to do. You 
find out, you know, exactly what type of onion they put on there. And, you know, if they, you know, how they made that particular onion, if they grilled it or what, if it was raw, you know, you do a lot more research than, you know, Hey, I heard they made a pineapple, you know, hamburger, you know, so I put pineapple and ham on a burger and here it is. Yeah, exactly. And and that would be like an inspired burger, which I don't have anything wrong with those type of videos. I mean, I do them, but I'm not going to call a video a copycat unless I've really worked hard at trying to you know make it as accurate as possible i mean i've even you know i'll find out what brands uh, of buns they're using and and i'll order from the directly from the baker i mean when i did uh, i did a few shake shack uh videos and i ended up having to buy way more buns than i needed you know um but i wanted to use the buns that they actually use on their videos yeah, I uh, first time I visited a Shake Shack, it was up in New York City about uh, five months ago. I had, uh, we don't have the one closest ones we have here are in Orlando, and um, they just recently opened, so I haven't had a chance to. But uh, we went to the one in Times Square, and um, it was actually packed. But um, it was it was pretty good. But uh, I don't know, my my kids weren't impressed. Yeah, you know, maybe because it was overcrowded, and then you know that's all they really <laughs> got out of it was it was really really crowded for a burger place. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, and it's a very 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 simple burger, and sometimes I wonder, you know, is a burger? Although I love I like Shake Shack, I think it's a good burger, but I would not wait in a big long line to get a Shake Shack burger. I think a lot of times, and it's with like any type of brand, you know, they get the buzz. So yeah. it's more of the buzz type, you know, oh, I heard this was great. And then people go, well, it has to be great because I heard it was great kind of thing. <laughs> hey, did you get to go to Hodad's while you were out here in San Diego? No, uh, yeah. I didn't have a whole lot of time when I was out there. I was there for work. So about the only thing I did besides hanging out with people from work was you know, going to dinner with you at, uh, at that um, Slater's. Slater's, Slater's. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, uh, there's a lot of places, you know, a lot of different burger places all around the, the, the world and the country here, but, um, and, and everybody, one of them has their, you know, little differences, you know, like five guys and, you know, everybody's got their own burger, you know, back where, where I came from in upstate New York, we had, uh, you know, just the side, you know, on the side of, you know, the greasy spoon burger places that, um, you know, originated the smash burgers back in the, in the day, you know? Yeah. So they were, they were just like the local greasy spoons you went and got a burger at. And then, you know, along came McDonald's and Burger King. And we had a one called Carol's back then that was, um, kind of more, you know, in the Northeast, uh, area of the country that, um, they, they, they lasted about 10 years and they, they went under, but, um, I think you were just, talking about Culver's too, right? Yeah. Culver's that's yeah. it. Yeah, Culver's. I knew it was. I knew it was a C, and I was. I couldn't remember what it was, but yeah, Culver's. They're, they're okay, but I mean, it's you know, we get a lot of them down here because they're from the Midwest, and we get a lot of Midwest transplants here in Florida. You know, they they come right down I seventy five and come down here to retire. So the all the all the uh, special uh, restaurants and stuff like um, you know that come down come down here because they got automatic uh, audience you know, yeah, but I, the, a lot of the Chicago, you know, pizza restaurants and, uh, you know, the Italian beef places, we get all that kind of stuff comes down, comes right down I-75. So that's cool though. You're a little kind of a smorgasbord of different regions right there. <laughs> yeah. They, they bring them with them. So, and on the East coast of Florida is all, all New York and New Jersey. So it's like, uh, you know, you go to one side of Florida, it's all Midwest, and one side, it's all the uh, New York, New Jersey, East Coast stuff. So it's kind of we, we it's kind of an elect, eclectic state here in uh, in Florida because it all goes by what the interstates, you know, what they drive down. Yeah, yeah, interesting. All right, so um, you recently retired, and we talked about that. I think when I was out there visiting back in uh, May, it was like your last day for a real job because you were a police officer for over 20 years. Was it 30 years? Yeah. 30 years. So, and, uh, and you retired here recently and we were just discussing it before we started recording that uh, you're busier now than you were when you were working. Huh? Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, it's not a, necessarily a bad thing. Um, I mean, you know, one of the, I had a list of honeydews that I need to get 
you know, started with, but these kind of opportunities arose my first week of retirement. So um, it's put a hindrance on, on some of the honeydews, but I'm actually slowly but surely starting to get, get uh, on top of the projects that my wife would like me to finish. Yeah. So what kind of projects you've been working on? Well, um, my, literally my first week of retirement, I, I was, I received an email from a publisher, uh, asking if I would write a book for them. Um, so that was the first, first, pro, uh, opportunity that came my way. And then actually when I was, uh, sh- shooting videos up in Northern California at my sister's house, that was because of a, uh, a sponsorship that came came down the pike that I jumped on, but I had to I, I had to shoot the videos all up there. But those videos won't even go up until March. They start going up in March. Well, that's good though. I mean, uh, you jumped right out of um, you know a, a regular job into doing some stuff that you like to do. Um, you know, I know that uh, you know when you're doing this part time, like you know you were and I I am now, it's something you really enjoy doing. It's you're not really doing it for the money you know, during the time that you're working, but it would be nice to, when you do, you know, retire, you got, you know, start to get a little bit of a compensation for all the hard work that you put into it. And especially if it's something you love, um, it makes it even better that you can, uh, do what you love and then get a little bit of compensation for it. I mean, it's really, it's been a blessing to, to my family and I, you know, a, it's keeping me busy. It's like you said, it's something that I really love to do. And, um, you know, it's, it's helping out. It's, you know, uh, alleviated any financial stress that we had, you know, there's anxiety as I was approaching my retirement, you know, I was getting anxious because that was a job that I, you know, I was doing more than half my life, you, you know? Um, and there are, you, you have some doubts that kind of start creeping into the, your brain as that retirement date approaches, but yeah, all those doubts are gone and I'm, <laughs> very happy. Not, there's not feeling stressed out anymore. So it's, uh, it's a good thing. I'm, I'm, again, I feel blessed. Well, and I know from when I started doing this, you know, a year and a half ago, it's not just, I get to do what I like, but I'm meeting people like you that I can, you know, uh, learn from and, you know, have a, have a positive interaction with and, you know, learn new things. You know, I had never edited a video in my life until until I started doing the YouTube channel. You know, I never, you know, started looking at, you know, doing a podcast or editing video or audio and and all that until I started this. So, I mean, it's got me to come out of my shell more and get more comfortable getting myself out there and, and, and doing something that I, you know, finding out stuff that I like to do. You know, I, I, love doing this podcast. I wouldn't, if I didn't start it, I wouldn't have known that, you know, and if I wouldn't have started it, if I didn't start the YouTube channel and the Facebook stuff and then getting the positive, I mean, there's a lot of negative out there too, but there's a lot more positive. And if you focus on all the positive stuff that comes out of that stuff, it it makes you a lot more, uh, I guess, happier doing that kind of stuff. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. you, you definitely, you know, if you can walk into, you know, retirement, already having something set up that you like to do that's positive that um, you can still learn, you know, as you're going as well. So, yeah. And it's uh, like you, like you said, man, it's, you learn as you go. That's for sure. I mean, I had never edited a video or, or anything like this when I first started and um, wow. I mean, now, you know, I'm rolling with like five cameras and, you know, audio, separate audio. And it seems like every day I still learn something new. And, and you know, now I'm trying to focus more on learning how to really balance my colors and, you know, the exposure, you know, the lighting and all that stuff, because, you know, I guess I'm your typical guy. I don't read instructions or anything. I just sort of try to figure things out on my own. Yeah, I do the same thing, but you know, it's also, you get to do it on your time. You know, you, you're not, uh, when, when you start to fine tune it, I guess, you know, yeah. When, when you first start doing it, you got to learn how to edit 
really quick, you know, you, you use something as simple as you can, like iMovie or something. And mm-hmm. just, just to put something up, you know, on the, on the channel to get it going. And then as time goes by, you start, you know, okay, I want to take this more seriously. So I want to start learning how to use, uh, you know, some more advanced editing software and do some more advanced, you know, things with the videos. And then, then, yeah, you want to work on your audio. You know, now I wanted to get the best audio I can get. Then I want to get the lighting. I'm still kind of working on that. I still haven't invested a, you know, a whole lot of money in lighting and cameras and anything like that. But, you know, it's a step, you know, you, you, as you get better, get more comfortable doing things a certain way, then you could go, all right, what's the next step? You know, what do I do now? It takes a long time to develop. It seems to me. <laughs> it does. Well, for some people, I mean, and I'm one of them, it, it's uh, other there's, I've seen newer channels out there just explode recently, but um, you know, unfortunately there's a lot that is not under, you know, in our control, everybody talks about the, the algorithm, you know, the algorithm. And, uh, Sometimes I think that YouTube just, I don't, I don't, honestly, I don't know how it works. I'm, I'm, I'm going to Vid Summit here real soon uh, for three days up in LA. It's at Daryl Eves. Uh, it hosts Vid Summit. You, do you know who Daryl is? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. And uh, hoping to walk away with a little bit more knowledge than I have because everybody's always talking about the algorithm and you know you you see these videos with these very large large channels talking about how you know damaging the the changes youtube has made to the the, this algorithm has been to their channels so um i just want to find out how how to work within that algorithm and maybe grow from it instead of being suppressed yeah, I think that's a big part of it. And then there's also, there's, there's a lot that, um, you know, you'll see every once in a while, you'll get somebody that gets a, a viral video that, you know, they've got two videos on their channel and all of a sudden their third video, you know, they got a million subscribers. It's like, how did that happen? You know, and it's, you know, you could look at it and go, well, <laughs> I can see how it happened because, you know, it's a scantily dressed girl and she's talking about taking a shower in a van or something, I know, right? <laughs> you know, so, and then it just kind of makes you, you get a little frustrated because all the hard work you put into it. But, you know, I also think when you're trying to do something part-time and you're trying to put as much effort into it as you possibly can, you know, it's still not enough because you got people out there that have, you know, studio quality equipment. Um, you've got people that have a lot more time on their hands to do it. Um, you know, maybe they don't work, maybe they, you know, uh, they, they have all day to sit there and, and look at every, you know, aspect of their video and audio and everything. But uh, when you're trying to do it part-time, it's, it's, a, it's a hobby. Um, it's kind of hard to do <laughs> when you're competing against yeah. people that, that have a lot more time. and there's a guy out here in San Diego who has a channel. I'm not mentioning his name, but it's a cooking channel. And, you know, he started out, he had a uh, pretty successful show out here on one of the local cable uh, channels. And then he started a YouTube channel and it was just sort of chugging along. I mean, it wasn't doing give, crazy numbers. And then all of a sudden it just exploded. I mean, he, you know, in a very short time, he passed a million subs. But, uh, you know, he's an Emmy winning uh, personality and he's got a professional crew that does everything. So all he really has to do is show up and cook. And, you know, he's got a good person. I mean, he's fun to watch. So I'm not taking anything away from him. But, uh, you know, and I know you can relate to this when you're kind of handling everything. It's easy to lose focus on certain things like maybe the personality projection, you know, because I'm looking at the cameras, making sure that I have the right shot or maybe something happened where I was presenting a, you know, whatever, a piece of meat to the camera. Then I realized, Oh shoot, the meat's not even in the shot. You know what I mean? So there's little stressors I think that can affect me personally, at least when I'm, when I'm trying to shoot a video. Oh, that's definitely, if you're, you know, I do everything myself, you know, uh, so I, I completely understand what you're saying is when you got three or two or three or four, or just one other person there, 
it takes a lot of the stress off. Cause like you said, you're, you're saying, oh, did I turn the camera on? You know, I've not turned my camera on, <laughs> you know, same thing with me. And, Oh, you know, I got to, am I in the frame? I got to go out. Now I got to stop and go check and see if the, you know, the camera's framed, right. You know, that my head's not cut off or, you know, like you said, the piece of meat that could be seen or whatever, you know, <laughs> so or your crotch is in the shot while you're slicing the meat, or, you know, <laughs> I mean, like you said, you know, there's several times where I, I, I thought I pressed start and uh, actually shut it off, and oh, I, you I've know, done whole, whole chunks of video you got to go back and reshoot. So yeah, it's sickening. It's sickening. I've I've completely just trashed video. I mean, like threw them in the waste can. The 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 video the, uh, because of forgetting to turn on like the main camera or my audio or something. All right. Well, I think we're going to take a break here and enough talking about YouTube stuff because probably a lot of people that are listening don't really care about our <laughs> trials and tribulations yeah. with YouTube, but we're going to come back and we're going to talk about um, a couple of the books you've written, uh, the sous vide barbecue book. And then you got a new book that you said is coming out here in the next couple of weeks. I want to talk about as well. So we're going to take a real quick break. We'll be right back with Greg Mervich of Ballistic Barbecue. Hey guys, I just want to take a minute to mention Inkbird Barbecue Products. They're the sponsor of our podcast today, and they have their Bluetooth 4 Probe Digital Barbecue Thermometer, the IBT4XS. is on sale on Amazon right now for 20% off. Gets it to $44. It has a 500-foot range with Bluetooth. It works with your iPhone, Android device. You can monitor your pit temperature, plus up to three different foods. Works great. Lots of options. Check it out on Amazon in the description below. I've got a link to it. Check out Inkbird. They have other products out there as well. Thanks for Inkbird for sponsoring the podcast. And now back to our show. All right, we're back with Greg Mervich of Ballistic Barbecue. And um, uh, as we left, we said we're going to talk about um, books. You are an author. And the uh, first book you wrote was a sous vide and barbecue book. And like I told you before on the first podcast you were on is that you were one of my inspirations because one of your videos with the sous vide briskets, one of the things that turned me on to sous vide and barbecue together. And then when I saw you wrote a sous vide barbecue book, that was even better because I was able to delve into it even more. So um, it just got me really excited about it. And some of the stuff I found in that book really inspired me and I, I wanted to do more experiments on my own and, and, and teach people how to do the same thing. So um, I think we talked about your book on that book before when you were on the podcast, but I kind of want to expand a little bit on it. You know, how did you develop those recipes in the book when you were, uh, you know, given the uh, job to do that? Well, um, you know, sous vide, I, I, I just, I was looking at it from not a, not a chef or anything. I'm a cook. And I saw sous vide as a tool of, you know, just to make things easier, you know, and not not a crutch, but just to make things easier. It's just, you know, it's a, a really nice tool to use if you want to put out some great food and you don't want to babysit it the entire time. You know, you can get it in the immersion and let it rock and then just finish it off and, you know, the way we finish the food off, the sear or whatever, adding some smoke uh, gives it that real flavor that you would normally have to, you know, again, babysit the food at the grill or with a smoker to get. So um, I don't know if I was kind of rambling there, but that's that was the inspiration. And I remember the first time I ever did anything that was sort of sous vide was, have you ever, before you ever had an immersion circulator, um, like did a steak in a cooler with just, you know, hot water with no immersion in there? I never did. When I, when I found sous vide, the, the circulators were already out there. And that's wow. kind of what, you know, I started seeing them advertise and I was like, well, what is this thing kind of, you know, and then I started delving into it a little bit more. And then that's when I kind of stumbled into it and then found some of your videos and some other videos, some of Guga's, uh, you know, sous vide, everything's earlier videos. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's, I kind of, I, I didn't get involved with the, you know, cooler with hot water or crock pots with the, uh, you know, the on and off switch thing that yeah, a yeah. lot of people did. So, but, um, 
so that was my first experience with it. And then a friend of mine bought me an actual immersion, you know, uh, circulator. Um, but right off the bat, I, I started playing with sous vide b behind the scenes. I wasn't making videos on this stuff. I was just, I was taking recipes that I had done conventionally and just incorporating sous vide into it. And I was really digging on the results. Um, I mean, then the brisket video I did, the, the first one I ever did, I was just wondering, wow, with sous vide, because you can make meat so tender with it, can I cook up and, and serve a medium rare brisket and have it tender? And, um, and I did. I mean, I sous vide that thing for, you know, it was like 45 hours at, I want to say, 130 and sure enough, I mean, it, it turned out it was really good. And it, it, it was nice and tender, had that nice beefy flavor. It wasn't like a brisket, you know, like a, what, when you think of brisket, but it was good. And um, so anyway, that's what I did with, with the sous vide book. I was just taking other recipes that I do conventionally and just incorporating sous vide into them. And I think that's, in my opinion, the way I want to use uh, the sous vide circulators. You know, there's a lot you can do magic with those things, but I'm just sort of more of a conventional cook with with the sous vide uh, circulators. Well, and that's the thing I try to tell people, you know, especially the bar hardcore barbecue guys that it's not going to replace, you know, the 12 hour brisket cook on a smoker alone. It's just a different way of doing it. It's just like there's many different ways to cook brisket. I mean, you can go to, you know, New York City and they make brisket in the oven and just braise it for, mm -hmm. you know, hours. So, I mean, there's different ways to cook everything. And if you can incorporate a little of each, you know, it makes something totally different, you know, like you did. You know, you can make a brisket medium rare and then still get some smoke to it and have something totally different than if you cooked it 12 hours on the smoker alone. So, you know, it's just um, there's so many different things you can do with it that, that makes it a, a really easy thing to experiment with and that just makes it fun in my opinion. So that's why I was where really going with that is where did you get a lot of your recipes in which that's what I try to do. I'll take traditional recipes and, and kind of, and try to incorporate the CV and see how I can make it just a little bit different, you know, yeah. and, and the result a little bit different. And, and all those recipes were just recipes I do at home. And, and the, again, they all kind of came from my traditional cooks some of my traditional videos I've done. And the only difference is, is I, I cut out that, you know, cooking with fire portion to break down and tenderize and, and cook the meat. And then I just finish it on the grill or finish it in my smoke or whatever. And, um, you know, I, you were kind of touching on something that I just think it's, it's really sad to me that there's so many people that are very closed mind when it comes to, especially outdoor cooking, it seems, you know, there's only one way to do a steak. There's only one way to do a brisket. And, and I honestly think that, th that they're denying themselves some really great discoveries just by opening up a little bit, you, you know, um, there, there's a lot of techniques I never would have tried had I not, you know, again, made friends with guys that are in the competitive, you know, barbecue world and, um, you know, for the longest time, it was fat cap up 100, you know, 225 degree pit or else you weren't doing it right. But I think it's been proven time and time again now that, you know, guys are putting out great brisket cooking in a 400 degree pit, you, you know, and I think sous vide kind of falls into that. I mean, I don't see anybody, any competition sanctioning sous vide in the near future, but, uh, you know, I, I know you can put out a, a good brisket starting it off sous vide. And then, you know, finishing it off in the smoker. Right. I think the time factor on the contest like that, but I think you can incorporate it in the SCA, uh, the state competitions. But then again, you know, it's the same thing. You, you know, you got to, the time constraints because CV does take time, but yeah. you're, you're, you're absolutely right on what you were saying. And that's, I've had this discussion with, you know, a lot of people, um, even, you know, Meathead and, and Malcolm Reed, they're under the same thing that no matter what, there's people that are, you know, uh, just, you know, chefs that are the same way though. You know, there's only one way to cook a steak, only one way to cook something. You know, it's not just the barbecue people. I think that, you know, it's big in the barbecue side, but it's also big in the, you know, 
all over cooking. You know, the, just the, the chefs who've been classically trained, they get that mentality sometimes too, that they don't want to try anything new or different. Um, you know, it's a lot of people think that sous vide, you can only cook a steak with it or chicken breast too. So that's one of the things that I'm trying to dispel is that, you know, the sous vide is just for making that perfect end to end, you know, medium rare steak that there's so much more that it can do that it's not just like a George Foreman grill or a Instapot or something like that. It's actually a method that has a lot more things you can do with it, uh, you know, than just making that perfect steak or chicken breast. Yeah, for sure. And um, make a cool egg with it too. I I actually just uh, for the first time, not too, well, a couple months ago, did my first um, poached egg in a, in a sous vide machine, a circulator. I'd never done that before, and I can't imagine why I would not have done that. In the because, have you done it before, Darren? I haven't. There's a lot of things I still haven't, you know, tackled with sous vide. There's still so much I haven't even scratched the surface on with sous vide. But eggs is one one of them. So need to give it a try. It's uh, it's pretty impressive. <laughs> and you're just popping the eggs in the. You know, you're you're not bagging the eggs there. You just put them in the water in the shell. Yeah, I mean, there's so much thing you, you can do with it. And like I said, people get locked into thinking, you know, it's boiling the meat or, you know, whatever. I mean, it's, it's, if you, once you start really looking at what the method can do and why it works the way it works, I mean, there's so much you can do with it. And, and like I said, it's not going to replace anything, but it's going to, uh, you can make, things a whole lot better. You can make things different. You can, you know, do things you could never do with any other cooking methods. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So that, that book was, has been a success. How long has that book been on the shelf now? Oh, geez. I knew you were going to ask me this. Um, <laughs> it's been a couple years. I was going to say, it's got to be at least two years. Cause I think that's when I picked it up when it first came out and it was about, you know, two years ago. So, but, um, so the success of that book has been pretty good or? Yeah, it's, it's chugging along. I mean, it's still selling on Amazon uh, pretty much daily. Um, and it's in a few brick and mortars as well, like Barnes and Noble and a couple of the other bookstores. And it's not bad because, you know, there's no advertisement behind it. You know, nobody's, uh, you know, actually actively marketing it, right? People are kind of just stumbling on it, right? That is correct. Yeah, they're... <laughs> The, the pub, I mean, I probably could have done a better job of promoting it, but, um, and the publishers, they really didn't promote it either. So it's just went up on Amazon and, uh, like I said, it landed in a couple of brick and mortars as well. And it's, yeah, it's been doing pretty good. And, uh, I, I would expect that as the holidays approach, it'll probably start picking up, uh, again, you know? Yeah. So let's walk into, since we're talking about that book and I think when we talked about your, that book before you said, what of a, what a experience that was because that was your first time as being an author and uh, it kind of uh, was a lot of hair pulling and you know rights and rewrites and going back and forth with the publisher and uh, so now you just came out you're coming out with a new book and what's the new book about it's uh um, it's called american barbecue sauces and then in marinades rubs and more from south and beyond and it's uh, it's basically rubs uh wet rubs, dry rubs, marinades, glazes, barbecue sauces, um, condiments. And then there are also 15 actual cooks, like, you know, different, different recipes that I've uh, come up with utilizing some of the rubs and sauces and everything that are in the book. So it's, it's definitely just geared towards barbecue sauces and and rubs and stuff. So it's not overall sauces. It's just, geared towards barbecue, right? Yes. But again, in any of these cooks, you could do, you know, sous vide as far as the cooking, the 15 cooking recipes. But yeah, it's, it's more of a geared towards the barbecue enthusiast. And it, you know, covers the different regions in the country than a lot of my own recipes. Now, does this book go into like the history of barbecue sauces and like, you know, some of the stuff I know you had to go into on your sous vide barbecue book, you kind of went into the history of sous vide and the history of barbecue. Yeah, it starts out uh, with the, yeah, the history of barbecue. I mean, we're talking about, you know, Christopher Columbus and the Spaniards basically. And then uh, it also touches on some of the, like, you know, why in the Carolinas they use, you know, the mustard, you know, so popular because, you know, because of the German immigrants and everything. So it goes into a little bit of the history and, um, 
there's a little story behind most of the most of the recipes in there as well. So you discuss like things like the Eastern Carolina barbecue sauce and where that came from and the mustard based South Carolina sauce and the Kansas City sweet type sauce. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And you also talk about barbecue styles, like, you know, the dry rubs from Memphis and all that as yep. well. All that's pretty much touched on with the, each specific region. And then, um, then, like I said, a lot of the recipes are mine, my own ballistic creations, so to speak, which, uh, I mean, my influences are from all over the place. But, yeah, I think I, I'm hoping people will dig this book. I mean, I had a lot of fun writing it, and it's I'm, I'm really actually very proud of this book. So how much easier was this book to write than the, your first uh, sous vide cube book? It was definitely a lot easier than the first time. You know, you, you start feeling a little bit more comfortable, I guess, with each uh, each write. Um, this publisher also, they, they were a lot more organized than the last publisher. So that, that made a huge difference. I mean, a huge difference. So you have a different publisher for this book than the other, than the other book. Yes. Yes. This one, uh, Callisto is the name of the publisher for this one. And, um, they made it easy. I mean, it was, uh, well, it wasn't easy, but you know, they, uh, they were just very, very helpful. I'll just say that. Well, and I'm sure it's just like anything, like when you first edited your first video for YouTube, you know, the second one was easier and the third one's even easier. So, and once you get a few under your belt, so I'm sure that, you know, your third book, which, um, I'm hoping you said you're going to write a burger book. Um, I'm hoping that one comes out soon. Cause I'm looking forward to that. I know a lot of people are. So the burger book is actually in the works and right now I'm writing it, you know, with no publisher. I'm just, um, kind of piecemealing the book together. And I want this, I want that book to be just very, very special. I mean, because it's, uh, burgers have been good to me, you know? And um, so we'll see, when, once I get the manuscript all done, then I just need to find someone to publish it. And if, if no one wants to, then I'll, I'll self-publish. But, um, you know, I'm gonna go through and make sure that I have really good pictures of all the, all the different burgers that are in the book and everything, but it's, it's a growing book. It's going to be pretty hefty. So speaking of that, how, how big is this, uh, your new book that's coming out here this month, um, on the, uh, sauces and, and rubs and all that. It, it's a total of 75 recipes in the wow. book. So it's, it's honestly not a, because when you think about it, and this is something that the publishers realized, um, you know, rubs just, there's not a lot to write. You know, you're basically writing the ingredients, the, you know, prep time, and then ultimately it's put it in a container and mix it up. You know what I mean? There's, there's none of the, the cooking instructions. So uh, when I first, the first manuscript, and again, I was kind of adhering, well, I wasn't, I, I was adhering to their guidelines. They wanted it to be um, 20,000 words and um, total of 60 recipes. And I gave them, you know, 23,000 words and 20, 22 or 62 recipes. And the book wasn't big enough for them. They, they wanted it to be bigger. At the time, they just wanted five cooking recipes so they asked if I would do a few more recipes. So I gave them um, 10 more cook recipes and three more, three more actual, uh, you know, rubs and sauces and such. Yeah. Cause if you're just writing a, a I've got a couple um, seasoning type books and, you know, unless you're doing like just like 500 different kinds of seasonings, there's not a whole lot. Yeah. Of, like you said, you know, you mix, you know, this is, you know, your recipe for the rub and that's it. You know, you're not, you know, showing any kind of instructions on how to cook or anything like that. It's all, you know, just mix this stuff up and then throw it on your food. Exactly. <laughs> it's like my, maybe a page or two at the most. Yeah. My editor was telling me, cause she's the one that was, you know, that, the way Callisto works is they start looking at um, things that are trending and they devise a strategy based on, on what, what, what's trending. And they noticed a kind of a gap um, out there, at least like on Amazon for uh, rubs and sauce recipe books. So that's where they went with this. That's how they landed on wanting to, me to do this, this particular subject. And uh, 
they had never done one before that was just based on rubs and sauces. So they didn't really plan it out very well initially, but we fixed it. We, and I, I, I think it's a lot, it's a better book now because there are more cooking recipes in it. So from fruition, how long has it taken you to get it to from when you started writing page one to uh, getting re- you know ready to start marketing it this coming month? Uh, the actual writing part, their, their timeline was very tight. Um, I started writing the book uh, the 28th of May, and I finished writing it around the 27th of July. And then after that, we went into the, the different kind of sequences of editing, which, which at times was frustrating because I had my main editor who was really great to work with, but they contract a bunch of people that kind of get in there just to make sure nothing gets missed. And I had this one editor in particular, that was just coming back with these queries that were, um, I mean, like one of the, one of the rubs is a, I named it cowboy coffee steak rub. And she was wanting to know where do cowboys come from? And I didn't think that, that was really the necessary information. Why, you know what I mean? Why would I want to add where do cowboys come from? I mean, they're, they come from all over the place, but you know, things <laughs> like that were just getting a little frustrating. Um, you know, I, I mentioned probe tender. Uh, I, I, and then she writes back, I know what fork tender is. What is probe tender? You know, so I had to explain what that was. But anyway, um, I, all the final back and forths were done. Uh, it was another probably a month and a half later, I guess. Oh, that's, uh, like I said, I, I don't know if I could do that. <laughs> Just, you know, I guess it's easier now that, you know, from your first book, because this time you were retired, you didn't have a day job. So you had a lot more time to sit down, but I'm sure after a while, your brain starts to melt and you have oh, to yeah. get, up, get I, up and walk away from it. And, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, you, I was, I was literally sequestering myself into the house in the house and just, uh, sit behind the computer. And luckily a lot of my recipes that, uh, that I've done like on my channel or, or just recipes that I want to do for my channel, I always write the recipes down. So I have, a binder with all my recipes or I come up with ideas, you know, like actually I came up with a really cool hamburger idea this morning while I was taking a shower and I write it down right when I think about it. And so luckily I had a lot of things to look at that, you know, I didn't have to pull recipes out of thin air. I mean, these are tried and true recipes that I've, I've done before and many of them have been on videos or they'll be in future videos. Well, hopefully it wasn't a uh, shampoo uh, burger. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, actually it's a, I'm not going to tell you what it is, but it's, it's a, it's Thanksgiving themed and oh, gotcha. um, it's going to be a pretty cool burger. I'm, I'm actually, I'm very excited about making this burger. Well, that's yeah. Thanksgiving's coming up and all the turkey recipes. Are you going to be doing some turkey recipes on your uh, YouTube channel? Yeah, I plan on it. I'm, um, like to do probably a turkey in my Lone Star grills uh, offset, maybe one in the pit barrel cooker. Yeah, I, I did a couple uh, CV turkey recipes last year and they were really popular. So I'm sure I'll do another one this year. I just got to try to make it just a little bit different. I did one where I did a whole, um, you know, turkey CV and then I did, a, I broke one down into pieces because. You know, there's, there's several different ways you can do it. So you eat spatchcock. I did a spatchcock one as well. So, um, there's, uh, just, uh, so many different things you can do with it, but I might, I might not even do a sous vide one this year because I did those last year. I might just do a regular, put one on a rotisserie on the Kamado Joe or something like that. So how did um, you finish off the whole bird that you sous vide? Um, I, I just put it in the, uh, put it in the uh, grill at like 475 mm-hmm. for, you know, 45 minutes because you're really not cooking the internal. You're just trying to get the skin crispy. Yeah. Yeah. It's either that or, you know, I did, I've done a couple of Turkey breasts and I just threw them in the convection oven at like 475 and, you know, for like 35, 40 minutes. Cause all you're doing is you're wanting that high, you know, air heat to crisp the outside of it Mm -hmm. and give it a little bit of color. Everything else is, you know, done on the inside. So, um, and it's funny with the, um, with poultry like that, it's, it's kind of like 
the um, the stall with a brisket or a pork butt, the internal temperature doesn't rise very fast. So it gives you a good, you know, 35, 40 minutes of good heat to get to the skin before the internal temp starts rising. So it works out really good. Yeah. But, uh, so the sous vide, sous vide barbecue book is still on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and all that. So make sure everybody checks that out. And what's the name of the new book again? It's called American Barbecue Sauces. Then there's like kind of a subtitle, Marinades, Rubs, and More from the South and Beyond. Now, when's that going to be available on Amazon? So it's available um, right now for um, pre-order. And it, it will be released on um, the 26th of November. All right. So I'll, I'll actually put a link to both of the uh, books down below in the description of the podcast. So they can at least go and pre-order it right now. So that's good. Yeah, I appreciate that. But now, do you have any holiday themes, uh, seasonings, or anything in that book, or is it strictly just barbecue stuff and and, and rubs and all that? No, there. I mean, there's nothing specific for the holidays, but there's a lot of things I think would go well, you know, with the holidays, like some, um, you know, like orange flavors and you know things that would I think would go great with uh, with you know your Thanksgiving or Christmas turkey or ham. Well, anyway, it's going to be a good um, stocking stuffer or gift for the barbecue lover out there. So any barbecue lovers out there, make sure you tell your significant others that you want a copy of Greg's new book. So Greg Mervich of Ballistic Barbecue YouTube channel. I want to thank you again for joining me. Uh, always great to have you on. Hope to have you on again, especially when your burger book is getting ready to release. Darren, you will get the first copy when that burger book finally comes out. <laughs> I definitely want it because like I said, um, uh, watching your you know, burger videos is, um, you know, whenever I see, you know, I get a notification, you know, Greg, you know, ballistic barbecue. And I'm like, whoop, it's gotta be a new burger. <laughs> I've got a, yeah, I'll be doing a video here really soon. Another burger video, but my upcoming video is going to be pretty crazy stuff. It's not a burger. I'm not going to tell you exactly what it is, but I will say that it's Halloween themed. Oh, nice. So check out Ballistic Barbecue on YouTube. Check out Sous Vide Barbecue, BBQ on Amazon. And check out the link below for the other books. And make sure you follow Greg. And I'll talk to you again soon, Greg. Thanks for being on. Thank you for having me, Darren. Appreciate it. All right. And I'll talk to you again on the next Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. Well, thanks again for joining us on the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. I want to thank Greg Mervich one more time for being on. Check out Ballistic Barbecue on YouTube. Check out Sous Vide Barbecue on Amazon. And also check out his Grubs and Sauces book. There will be a link down in the description below. Check out Inkford, our sponsor. They have some great barbecue thermometers and a great sous vide uh, circulator. Thanks for listening. Make sure you follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and follow us on our Fire and Water Cooking channel on YouTube. And I'll see you again on the next Fire and Water Cooking podcast.